Hey guys, Jack here. Just one quick announcement. Uh, a reminder that our live Leak Finder event with Thinking Poker uh, in the New York City area is coming up this March 25th and 26th. Uh, for more information about that opportunity, head to our website, justhandspoker.com slash thinkingpokernyc. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Jack. Hello, Zach. Nice to talk to you today. As always, as always, uh, and not just about our normal stuff, but, uh, you know, as is the time of week, we're here to talk about a hand of poker and not just you and I this week, but uh, with our special guest, Daryl Jace. Do you want to give him a proper introduction? Yes, Daryl Jace is a poker player, uh, plays both live and online, uh, but also a poker coach and a writer kind of on all things. And uh, for those of you that follow our social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, we often post a lot of Daryl's writings on poker and kind of on life in general. So it's it's a real pleasure to welcome Daryl Jace onto the podcast today. How are you doing, Daryl? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. The pleasure. Um, so I know I've been trying to get you on for a while, uh, but we, you know, we prefer the kind of the documents and the, the live cash games. So we had to wait for you to get, get in a hand of live poker. And I heard you We're, recently played a tournament. Yeah. It usually takes a while. I don't play too many live MTTs nowadays. Um, so yeah, I was at the Foxwoods 1100, 200k guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And if anyone's, if anyone listening to this never has been down there, it's it's a great place to play, in my opinion. Uh, really uh, soft tournament. Uh, so the hand was, it is blinds are like 100, 200 with ante. I raise ace 10 suited from early position. I get two flats directly to my left. So uh, do you kind of remember stack sizes of yourself of the main villains in the hand and also maybe like profiles on like the app, the way the whole game, the whole table was playing or the, the way the certain players right. in the hand were playing? Right. So I'll give uh, profiles as needed. So the actual action was limp, limp, I believe. And then I raised and the stacks were about 30K effective. So like 150 bigs. Mm-hmm for every player about. Um, no one was like too much up or down. Maybe I had like 35K at one point. So I I probably went to like 1K and uh, got four callers to the flop. Uh, so the flop comes... Oh, wait, wait. Just about... Yeah, just about your like pre-flop opening range, like because... To me, it just doesn't seem like necessarily a like a, a slam dunk open necessarily. So, like, are are you making this open because you feel like you have a large skill edge relative to the limpers, relative to most of the field? Like, what what's going in your mind when you're kind of constructing this, you know, early position raised to limpers range? Uh, so I was watching the first two limpers play, and well, especially the first limper, he was a pretty weak player, and he was making lots of mistakes, and he had. He happens to be the main villain in the hand. So I was more than happy to kind of raise, because I think he's just limping a bunch of garbage and then calling a bunch of garbage afterwards and then making mistakes afterwards too. And um, the other limper 
after he limps behind, I think his range is pretty capped. I don't think mm-hmm. he's limping anything strong, so I'm not worried about him too much. And uh, there was no one tough at the table, so I'm pretty happy to race it. Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty clear to me. All right, so we're four ways, and I guess we can uh, you know, get additional details as needed on the flop. Yeah, I will. So the flop comes 10-7 deuce rainbow, and it checks to me. And I have an interesting decision because the, the guy directly to my left is a live poker player who seems over aggro and kind of spewy. And the guy two to my left is a guy who just sat at the table but has basically bet every time he's had the option to, which is just like a sample of three or four. Um, so I was in a difficult decision of whether to bet or check. I don't know if I just like go through my top thought process or you guys like interject at points or but Well, yeah. I'd, I'd like to hear you elaborate a little bit more because I think this is this is one of those hands where I think most, almost everyone I think considers, or a lot of our listeners would consider this an auto C bet and would be surprised to hear us stop and discuss it. But it's right. not that high up in our range. Uh, and I think there are definitely some merits to checking this hand. Uh, so I'd be curious to hear you talk more about it. Right. So I would probably check every single hand in my range of the spot. And for a two, one, one main reason, if if they're going to bet for me with a very high frequency, I'd rather have them do that and then just gain all that information of what the other guys are going to do behind me. And then I can raise or call or potentially even fold if it goes bet raise by, or by some action, like losing zero chips. So I don't bluff any hand there and I don't bet any hand. Like if I have jacks, the races I'm checking. If I have ace king, I'm checking. Anything I have, I'm checking. Mm-hmm. And and I see kind of where you're going here, but I feel like as as much as it's likely that we're going to get bet into here, and that we might profit more by turning our somewhat strong hand into a bluff catcher, I I think on so it's ten seven two. Did you say it was a rainbow board? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's very unlikely we're going to see a bet and a raise. Uh, I mean, do you no, think I don't that... Think, I don't think so either. But okay. if, if I just get a bet, like, that's really nice. Because I, get, I get, a, get someone to bet for me, and I get to see what everyone else does for free. The um, bet and the raise was only kind of like a... Something that happens a small percentage of the time, which is like a nice little extra bonus. But not something I'm counting on at all. I agree. Okay. Do you think uh, the players you have positioned on are probably going to call wider to a bet from the players in position rather than a continuation bet from yourself? Um, I don't know how well they, how much they think about the game, but I think that would make sense since they have, um, I guess, weaker ranges. You know, I rep like all the big overpairs and shit, and I guess they don't because they just called, so... I guess they'd be more inclined to call them. I would think that might be a nice benefit because, uh, you know, if, if you have two people in the hand, let's say one in position, one out of position that are likely to come along to see a turn, uh, I think the one out of position 
is a lot more likely to get to the turn uh, when it's not you doing the betting and then having another call in position in front of them. Right. So I think that's an interesting benefit to checking. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty clear that there's a ton of benefits to checking. Um, definitely most of your range. The, the only part I'm a little bit not convinced on is um, just from an exploitative point of view, Daryl, like um, check raising a hand like a set of tens or maybe aces where I think there's probably a lot of scenarios against these two players that are, as you described, likely very aggressive where they might bet out a hand that would fold to a check raise that might call a street on the flop and call a street on the turn. So I, I think that's not necessarily like a likely thing to happen a lot, but I, I think we might want to have like some betting range just from an exploitative point of view with kind of our like high value hands, especially like a hand specifically like a set of tens that I think is blocking a lot of other uh, you know value targets. Well, Daryl, were you thinking you would have a check raising range here? Um, depending on the action, I mean anything can happen five way. Um, but I can imagine that I would like with some two overs with the backdoor plus draw, backdoor straight draw, and uh, some big hands there. I don't know about ten ten, like he was saying, because it blocks so many big hands. So, and I don't know about ace ace. So, I guess I'd probably do with like ace ace or lower sets or something, but. I don't know if I raise 7-7 seven, seven pre all that often. And you're definitely not raising deuces pre? No, definitely not. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I guess, I mean, this is this is a relatively minor thing, but it's just interesting to think about what you're doing with those parts of your range, like whether it makes sense to bet or maybe even check call, even though you know you're ahead. Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of sucks to check call with over pairs there. Yeah, especially like a jacks or a queens. Yeah, especially if it goes like that call, and it's like letting two people see the turn. Um, that is kind of a tricky aspect of it. But I do think I get them to bet hands that they shouldn't be betting. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting exercise to figure out, like, you know, when you check call hands, especially like jacks, queens, and even, you know, kings and aces, check calling isn't great. But is that mitigated by the fact that you have people betting behind you that really shouldn't be betting and then, you know, consequently some of the limpers calling with hands that aren't good calls, uh, where if you just bet, a, bet out, it they, they can might be able to fold. Yeah, there's another aspect to this which is interesting is that betting leaves me open to getting raised, which really fucking sucks. And, like, if I have jacks through aces... I don't really want to play for stacks on play for stacks with 150 big blinds. And if I bet my opponent has me beat or decides he wants to like raise and barrel, which those two guys to my left are could potentially do, it puts me in very difficult spots by the river. So that is another aspect of it that's probably not as big of a deal in like a live game, but um, if you're betting like vulnerable one pair hands on boards where people can rep sets and two pairs better than you and you're really deep it's it's a very tricky spot as a spot where people can attack and raise there and barrel off 
Yeah, I mean, we've we've sort of admitted that if we did bet here, we'd we'd likely be very capped. I mean, we don't have deuces. Uh, admittedly, we might not have sevens, and I don't think we're leading out uh, a set of tens on this flop. So, yeah, if since we don't know that these players are terrible, uh, we might. Yeah, I do think keeping ourselves out of that situation uh, could could definitely be better. You know, I think exploitatively, like I'm not so worried about getting raised uh, light here. You know, there's there's really I think only four likely semi bluffing combos, and we don't have you know such amazing equity against those that like you know folding to them, you know, is a disaster if you know they're accompanied by sets and two pair in that range. Uh, and I'm not worried about people turning like you know queen jack with a backdoor into a bluff that often, especially with a five week pot. Yeah, it's pretty unlikely. But um, for like simplified version, if the two guys on my left aren't betting too much, I'm just gonna bet myself. Is what's probably gonna happen. But since they're since they're betting too much, I'm just gonna exploit that fact, take all the free info, lower some variance, and make decisions from there. Yeah, and I I think I think that sort of simple fact of them. Likely bluffing too much, uh, particularly the, maybe the guy last to act uh, and betting too wide for value is the key element to this decision. So you check. Yeah, um, and it checks through, so maybe my read was off. Turn, <laughs> turn is a two. And the guy, the first limper, leads out for like 1,200 into like a 5K pot. The guy directly to his left calls. And the action's on me. It also brings a flush draw. I actually end up raising it to like 5K-ish or so. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. Oh, so I should give reads. Um, this guy, the guy who was limping and doing the betting, he has been quite stabby beforehand, has done these small bets before, I believe he's done bigger bets before. I'm not 100% sure. And shown like a big hand. And I've seen him do small bets and show weak hands. But I've also seen him do like small bets and show like decent, like kind of strong hands too. I just feel like this is never a two. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that player is either donking for a larger size and mostly just checking with a two. You know, when you're out of, you know, when you're first acting the five-way pot, you know, when you turn a monster, you just kind of feel like someone is going to bet it for you. And maybe you should be leading more often there, but I think if you were going to lead, you know, with a two, it would be for larger sizing. So I think you're almost never against a two from that player. I, I, I guess you can't totally rule out twos from everybody else's range. You know, maybe someone behind you or one of these players, you know, was limping or calling a hand like ace deuce suited but it's just so unlikely and i think that one this player does both these players do commit 1200 chips uh they're very likely to call a small raise uh and be behind so i i really like it yeah so i go uh 5k and the guy who made it 1200 calls and the other guy folds and everyone else folds too yeah and and before i move on i I think I really like this, but I just want to kind of explain to listeners why I love the sizing because 
I think it's always important to keep in mind what you're value targeting when you're making kind of a thin raise like this or really when doing anything. And I think this is a perfect price for a worse 10, a stubborn pair that's worse than a 10, and a flush draw. I also like raising here because I think we can very comfortably fold to a, a re-raise from someone behind us as well as someone in front. Like I think that's just pretty straightforward and no one's going to be really messing around when like the board pairs and deciding to turn a nut flush draw into like a three bet when you as the prefab raiser checked and now are raising. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that's super unlikely. Yeah. I actually do think there's a case for making it bigger. Uh, I'm guessing, just based on the descriptions that you've given, I like the size, uh, and I think it's better to err on the small side because I think these players are more likely to be on a level of thinking where they would rather see a lower price with their medium hands. But I do think there are some players where it would make sense to size up a lot here, uh, and that would be against players who I think you're going to be sort of price insensitive and are either going to decide that like you're always bluffing here, which for some players uh, I think that would be basically correct to think that because their their entire value range uh, would have already bet the flop. So I think there are, there's definitely a group of players where it makes sense to size up for the times they decide you're bluffing and are just going to kind of call you down no matter what. Uh, but just my feeling about these players, just from you talking about them, is that this is not that time. Right. Uh, when it comes to sizing, I am very like loose with sizing. So as long as like someone doesn't go under like 4,500 here, I'm happy with the size. And if you go like over like 6,500, 7K, I think that's bad. Like as long as you're between like that range, I think it's really difficult to argue what the best size is. It's just such a complex thing to figure out. And no one really knows as long as you're like not going ridiculously small or crazy big. I think you're doing fine there, staying within that reasonable bound of like between, I don't know, 4,500 and 6, 7K or something. Yeah, you you just don't want to like give an incentive for a flush draw to fold there. I mean, obviously you're giving the incentive in that they're not getting the correct price, but like for these players specifically, not from like a theoretic sense. Right. Maybe I should go bigger because their flush draws probably have a gutter or two overs or something. I mean, there's no way they're getting the right odds on the turn. The question is just like you kind of want to be greedy and go as big as you can, where like you know, a bad flush draw will call the vast majority of the time because their limp calling ranges are really capped and have a lot of junk in them after they are two calls behind you. So, you know, if they fold out most of their bad flush draws to your raise, I think that's that kind of yeah. heuristically shows that it was a mis that size was a mistake, which you can't you can't know after the f you know until after the fact. But that's kind of what you're thinking about, and you're right, like in these live situations where your sample size is really small, you're kind of going off intuition, going off, you know, in some ways feel on like how you feel these players are going to play. It's really difficult to, to say like, okay, that threshold is 6,000 or that threshold is 8,000, but kind of talking about it more, I would probably guess you can maybe go a little bigger. Like I think, I think probably 65 is a, is a fair and safe size. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, five pot, days, the bottom. A pot size like raise would be around too. nine. You said there was five. We had five in the pocket going to the flop. 
Yeah, there's like 5K in the pot and bet out 1,200. So yeah, I like I like bigger than my sizing. Thinking about it now, I think I don't know if I'd go 65, but I like 55, 6K, something like that. I like 65 too, though. Seems reasonable. Cool. So wanna tell us what happened on the river? Yeah. So uh, rivers a five. So there's like 15K in the pot or something like that. And uh, so I've seen this guy make one bad call before, and he just seemed to be making mistakes. We had, I don't know, what do we have, like 24K behind, and I went for like 13K there. Yeah, I can't think of a very compelling reason not to value bet. So I think it's mostly a matter of sizing and uh, for for similar reasons to, you know, my thinking that erring on the small to medium side on the flop or sorry, on the turn was correct. I, you know, I think it holds too. I mean, it holds true here too. So you like 13K there? Because it's kind of, I guess, would be kind of on the big side. Yeah. And now I, I was thinking we had 20K in the pot. Uh, and 15K. 15, so 15K in the pot. I, I don't play many live tournaments, but this strikes me as like definitely on the big side of like given the extent of your reads, what I would do in a cash game. And therefore it should be a little bit smaller in a tournament, even than that. Like, I just think it's a little ambitious. Uh, so, okay. Maybe he might call with most of his tens there, but I think you probably want to pick a sizing that like, you know, you're, you're not just targeting pairs of tens, right? Like you're also maybe targeting a pair of sevens and like pairs of eights and nines. And I just think, to get that hand to call most of the time or all the time, it's going to be much easier to do at a sizing of like, you know, closer to half pot, probably a little over half pot. Like I, I feel like I like eight or nine, but you know, I wasn't there and I feel like I would, you know, you just really need a little more information before you can really, I think zero in on the, the optimal bet size. Here. Yeah. If, if it, this it, was my, um, uh-huh. if this was my first hand at the table, I go like eight, nine K It's just um, seeing him make lots of mistakes and putting myself in his shoes, like, as a live player. Like, what the fuck do I rep? And it's just none of of it makes any sense to him, probably. So I just didn't think he would fold. Yeah, so I think that's a a good kind of clarification there. And it's something I think about a lot when I'm playing. Uh, I think a lot of players that play live... You know, they're doing so even if they maybe tell themselves not to make money, like deep inside it's really to like, you know, feel good about themselves or sometimes feel bad about themselves and like reinforce the negative attitudes they have about their life or, you know, to call people down well and feel good about it, to like be smarter than the other people they play with. So I think all of these types of things that aren't like how can I maximize my EV contribute when you're in this scenario, especially probably against a, you know, Maybe a younger gun-looking guy. Would would that be an accurate way to describe you, Daryl? I mean, I I got the hoodie, but no headphones. <laughs> okay. Uh, so. <laughs> so yes, um, you know they're, they're generally going to be uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A word for poker. It's I'm price insensitive. But yeah, so it's like they're either going to call you down because they think you don't have it, or they're not. They're not thinking. Uh, oh, elastic. Yeah. Yeah, they have an so inelastic calling range. <laughs> right. I remember hearing that from like an A.E. Jones video, like Lucky Chewy. He, uh, 
I think he was the first person to use the term, as far as I know. He he came out with like a five thousand dollar book back in two thousand eight or something like that. He was charging five thousand dollars for a book he wrote. Yeah, him and Lucky Chewy. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, they knew their audience. Right. <laughs> Uh, um, so yeah, similar concept applies, I think. Yeah. yeah so that's why um, I thought the hand was interesting because I thought I got pretty close to max value on the river, where I typically bet like eight or nine k, or maybe don't raise the turn even. Um, so yeah, I thought it was an interesting hand. I bet like thirteen k. He calls, shows the ten, I think, and mucks after I show my hand. Yeah, so it's interesting because, like, in one way, it's like, okay, he called. He had a 10, so that was good. But you then I, I would love to – I forget whose turn it is uh, for this week, but when we do our podcast breakdown and kind of check out, like, you know, give that guy more specific range, like, if he folds most of his 7s at 13K and calls most of them at 8 or 9 – just kind of offhand, I would guess that the lower sizing is better. But a lot of this is based off like an assumption like that, which we really can't know. But just because he like called and showed a ten, that doesn't necessarily mean it was the best size. He might like just always call with a ten there, but not call with a seven, but have a lot of sevens and call lower with a seven. Just kind of playing a little devil's advocate. Right, mm -hmm. that's interesting. I also like a. I think it depends on our hand. So like. If our hand is like, let's say we have jacks, I think we can go with a bigger bet sizing since we don't yes. block him, yeah. 10x. Um, yeah, I think most of his range, I would guess like if we don't have a 10 in our hand, the, a, a much larger part of his range is like 10x than 7x, um, an mm -hmm. 8, 8, and 9, 9. But maybe that's not the case. The well, reason I'm thinking that is because less 7x hands limp pre, less of them bet 1,200 on the turn. They probably don't fold to the raise ever, though, regardless. Well, I was about to say a very similar thing. I actually do think they might fold to a raise. Uh, I'm going to sort of go back on what I said about the river before uh, because I think that, and I, you picked up on this, I think, really well, that I think our value targets on the turn and the river are actually going to be quite different. We're going to be value targeting a lot more draws and middle pair hands on the turn uh, with two people that we're value targeting. Both have a not super strong range. But I think, you know, once we're just with, yeah, the first limper who let out the turn and called our turn raise, uh, I think we should be much more heavily targeting 10x. Uh, and I think that a lot of times we get to the spot, this player will only ever have 10x, at least in terms of hands that he's value betting. He might have some missed draws. But I, I definitely think there are incarnations of this player where 10x is our only value target. So I, I do like sizing up, you know, as you chose to do on the river. Yeah, I mean, if that's if that's true, then for sure. Yeah, I also, like, I mean, it's very specific, but I also just felt like, he wouldn't fold the 7 to 13K either, given the hand, just given the line, given the way he's played. And 
my image was probably pretty solid, but also aggressive. Like, I think I've won a few pots and done some stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was holding. You know, one one line I considered that we haven't talked about would just be shoving. And that only has to work, you know, about half as often to be correct. Wait, I thought stocks were... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that something you considered? You know, uh, I did, but I thought I needed a bit of a stronger hand or a hand that didn't block a 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I mean, do you ever think we're not good here? Yes. I thought there was like some 10 to 20% chance that I'm not good. You know, do you think he's holding like jacks or... Is that the type of your hand you're worried about, or more maybe like sevens or a, yeah, a two? Yeah, just just like a weird played deuce or like a slow played set or something. Boat rather. Mm-hmm. And so you're bed folding here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What's well, still interesting because if we're, yeah, that I mean it gets it gets complicated. I I still think like there are plenty of. Uh, you know, models for this player where shoving would still, I think at least in terms of chip EV, uh, be correct. We're not, you know, as much tournament players, and I don't have a great sense for estimating, like, is this a rebuy tournament? Uh, it's free entry, yeah. Okay. Well, then ICM is not a huge concern right now. So. I don't know if um, it being re-entry really affects the decision. I think there's just a disparity that exists between plays that make you dollars and plays that make you chips. And I don't think that goes away because you can re-enter. Although, like, psychologically, it's really fucking nice to re-enter and not just be out of the tournament. Uh, mathematically, I don't think it's any different. I well, could be I, wrong, though. I guess maybe my understanding is that, like, you know, the it's... It's not that important to, you know, protect our stack uh, when we're going to be able to buy in again for chip average and make the same sort of investment we already made. So I, I would think at this level of the tournament, like, we should be basically maximizing chip EV, and that's going to go hand in hand with maximizing dollar EV. But am I totally off base? I think there's a disparity that's like a pretty significant disparity between dollar EV and chip EV still not a big one. Like you see at money bubble or final tables or anything, but I imagine it's, it's a significant enough not to just completely ignore it. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. It's hard to know exactly. No one really knows the math, but my understanding of it is that it's still significant, that it still exists. I wish I could explain it better, or I was better at math, but it's just a pretty hard calculation. There's no, like, software for it or anything. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you know, luckily, or, sorry, not luckily, unfortunately, uh, it's, you know, not on every podcast you talk about the ICM implications of a thin value shove in the early stages of a re-entry <laughs> tournament. So, right. Uh, I guess I'm gonna have to expand my poker information 
intake sources to answer that question? Yeah, I I imagine it wouldn't be thinking about it now. The when you say it like that, I imagine it's not that big of a difference. But I imagine it's not negligible either. It's incredibly hard to say. No one has ever like ran the numbers or even tried for like you know 180 left and 27 pay or something like that. Yeah, people just. I guess are not just that curious how much their stack is worth uh, at that stage in the tournament. All right, uh, I really thought he was gonna shit just because uh, I, you know, I I was sort of torn between whether you brought this hand in because you find it interesting because of the sort of sizing the decisions and you know the flop decision, and I think that it's a really interesting hand. But I think a lot of times when people bring a hand out of the show, it's like. It's not going to be as straightforward on the surface as maybe this hand was. So I thought you were going to get, he was going to shift the river. And, you know, I think it is actually a pretty clear fold if he does. Uh, yeah. But I, you, uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find him just, you know, call your value bet. Uh, I think that's a better ending for this story. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought it was uh, the most interesting hand I played. There was another, like, really weird hand as well but it was, it was between those two i chose this one because i won that one. i won this one i lost the other one <laughs> that's a good reason well daryl if people wanted to get your advice on on winning hands is there anything you'd like to plug or tell our listeners about um i have my site uh daryljace.com or jacepokercoaching.com both of those work uh there's a youtube channel where i record coaching sessions and just throw them up online I have a few like free poker training videos where i teach about equity and combinatorics i guess there's twitter at fuck screen name not you don't spell fuck it's just fk and uh <laughs> facebook my name daryl jace that's it awesome 